point with Psalm 119, we're reading this time from 41 to 80. I want to repeat my uh, suggestion that this whole psalm, which is of course a glorification of God's word, was composed by David whilst he was on the run from Saul. I say that because several times he refers to himself as a young man, and he talks a lot about being persecuted and yet holding on to God's word, and he talks about how kings uh, and those in power are persecuting him and, and chasing him, etc., this really would sound like the time that he's in the wilderness from, from Saul. Uh, so 41, let your grace also come to me, Yahweh, your salvation according to your word. I think he's saying, I would like to have the spiritual experience of grace that I've seen experienced by others, for example, Samuel, um, that he had known. And I think what he's saying is, here I am at the moment, justice is not being done. Uh, I'm suffering innocently at the hand of Saul, and yet I see that you have been gracious and faithful to others, and therefore I don't lose faith. So many people say, well, it doesn't work out for me. Uh, I suffer and I have a hard life. Uh, why is this? And the comfort is, or the example is from David, that what God has done for others, both in our experience and also historically, should be our great comfort, even though at this particular moment it's not coming to me. And he, he says, may your salvation uh, come to me according to your word. Well, when we read about the word of God in this psalm, I don't think we have to interpret it as the whole Bible or even the law of Moses. It does refer to that sometimes. But I think that here the word that he has in view is the, the prophetic word that he would be king. And he's asking for that word to, to come true. Uh, verse 42, So I will have an answer for him who reproaches me. There's often a specific individual uh, mentioned really in, in the uh, Psalms, uh, which I assume refers to, to Saul. Now, David trusted then in that prophetic word of the kingdom in the literal sense, that he would one day... Uh, have a kingdom that he would be king and rule in Israel. Now, he talks here about him who reproaches me, and that Hebrew word translated reproach is used quite often in the Psalms about Saul's reproach of David. If you want the references, 44, 16, 57, 3, 74, 10, 102, verse 8. So I think that Saul was running a slander campaign against David, which admittedly is not particularly recorded in the historical record, but it was extremely hurtful to David. He talks about it so often in his Psalms. He says, using that same word about reproach in Psalm 42.10, that the reproach was as a sword in the bones to David. So never underestimate the... The, the power of words, it's easy to think, yeah, well, he only just said that, he didn't actually do anything. Um, but the hurt that is suffered by people, including believers, because of the word of others is, as he says, like a sword in the bones. And what's his answer to that in his own mind? Well, fulfill your word. One day, the prophetic word that I will be ruler in, in your kingdom shall come true. And that is all the time in this psalm and so often in the psalms, uh, how he counters this idea of being reproached. And, 
of course, this ultimately, I think, is our answer. People slander us, people speak badly of us, and it's very hurtful. And actually, in this world, I don't think there is ever any ultimate answer. One may think so. Oh, if only we could all sit down around a table and I, I would clarify what really happened and put the record straight, and uh, etc., and get an agreed version of events. Uh, no, that tends to not happen, from what I've seen anyway, in my own life and in the lives of others. The, the comfort against that is not that we shall sort all this out. The comfort, rather, is that God's kingdom word to me, that I shall be in his kingdom, shall be fulfilled. Now, verse 44, So I will obey your law continually, forever and ever. This, I think, was David's vision of the kingdom, that forever and ever he would be obedient to God's word. And that, I think, is the greatest thing that I, for one, look forward to, not just the eternity of the life, but the quality of the kingdom life, that we shall be eternally obedient to God's law. There's a phrase that you meet a few times in the Law of Moses where it's sort of commented, he who keeps the law shall even live in it. And it's enigmatic. And one interpretation of that is that if you keep the law, then you shall eternally live keeping it. That this was the vision of the kingdom that's being presented, that we shall be eternally uh, in good conscience with God, living according to, to his word and will. And so the physicality of the coming kingdom of God on earth, the ideal climate, animal creation at peace with itself, uh, and so forth, uh, this is of course wonderful, but I think the the greater thing about God's kingdom is that we shall, we shall finally not sin and we shall positively be absolutely obedient. So 46, I will also speak of your statutes before kings and will not be disappointed. Uh, before kings. Well, twice David is described at this part of his life as coming before a king. He's before King Saul. And in 1 Samuel 21:13, he is before King Achish, king of Gath, uh, when he's fleeing from Saul. So even in those situations where just one wrong word could have led to Saul throwing a javelin at him, he still spoke God's word. And of course, that's a great uh, example for us when we, uh, we all are shy, no matter how extrovert you might be as a personality type, we all have this shyness to openly turn conversations round of the things of God's word. Uh, and David was really a great example of, of not doing that. See, he says in verse 47 that he delights himself in God's commandments because I love them. And he got the same word in verse 48, uh, also verse 16 and verse 70, um, that he delighted in God's law. It's not as if, well, I've just got to try and make myself obedient to these demands of my God, but rather we love him, and so we want to do what he wants. Uh, going on then, 49, remember your word to your servant. And the idea of remember is really to fulfill. Again, the word to your servant is the word of the kingdom, that David would be king. In 51, the proud mock me but I don't swerve from your law. So I suggested that the individual who is responsible for the persecution of, of David at this time is Saul. And several times that individual is described as the arrogant, as the proud, etc. And yet Saul began pretty humble, didn't he? Hiding amongst the stuff, hiding amongst the baggage. And yet as he got more power, 
he became proud. And yet he didn't start like that. He basically, when he was out there looking for lost cattle and the word comes to him that you ought to be king, he says, no, not me. I'm not, uh, I'm not to the manner born spiritually. I, I'm not, this not for me. And he really didn't want to do it. And he, he was quite humble to start with. As God said to him later on, when you were little in your own eyes, um, <clears throat> you were pleasing to me. So there's a link between power and pride, and God's great desire is that we should not be proud. And so if you wonder why you do not have power, uh, be it financially, because money can bring some level of power, in terms of uh, your social standing, in terms of your career, your family, um, that you don't have that power, that authority that you would love to have, well, remember, God wants you to be humble, and power and pride go together. 52. I remember your ordinances of old Yahweh, and have comforted myself. I think the ordinances there are his judgments, I think the AV says. Um, the idea is that he remembers how God has acted justly, historically, and he finds comfort. And my point is that at the time, David felt that it was all so unjust, that he wasn't getting justice. And that's how we feel. And as I say, some people turn right away from God because they feel that they haven't in their own life experienced uh, justice from God. They haven't experienced his involvement. He hasn't come running to the immediate rescue, solving various problems, etc. And... The point is that God has done so historically. His justice, his judgments are portrayed all through the Bible. That's why the word of God is in one sense described as the judgments of God. And that's a, a great sign really of, of selflessness. To perceive yourself as a member of the body of Christ over time. And therefore, because that's uh, how you are over time... Uh, that you are connected with all those people who were servants of God, who have now fallen asleep uh, in Christ, uh, and yet God worked for them. And of course, God works dramatically for people within the body of Christ right now. Um, of course, it's a big thing that, you know, your loved one has got cancer and dies from it, whereas uh, another believer had cancer and miraculously got over it. It's, of course, difficult, because the obvious question is, yeah, what about me? It was okay for him, but what about our family? And I don't uh, deny that this is extremely difficult. But the point is that God has behaved in that way. And the fact that at this immediate point in time, he's not acting like that for you, does not mean that he cannot act like that or will not act like that. The simple thing is, of course, that he knows it better. Um, but it's a true sign of being a brother or sister in Christ that you can perceive yourself as a member of the wider body of Christ, not only over space and geography in this world, but uh, over time. Going right back to things like what God did for his people, the body of, of Christ, if you like, the, the, the body of Moses uh, at, at the Red Sea. 59. I considered my ways and turned my steps to your statutes. This is, I think, one of a number of indications in Psalm 119 that he had had plenty of experience of sin, repentance, and putting his life right, even at this time. See verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I observe your word. 
At the end of Psalm 119, he talks about how he's been as a lost sheep who got astray and has returned to God's word. So I think the image of, of David as this completely innocent, naive teenager strumming his harp, uh, singing songs to God as he looked after the animals, and then he comes down and uh, kills Goliath uh, as if he's absolutely spotless. Uh, this is not the, the David that David recognizes of himself in this psalm. He talks about how he has sinned and yet has turned back to God. Now, it's not surprising that in all the stress of being on the run from Saul, he did put foot's wrong, feet wrong um, in, in his life. One would not be surprised at that at all, although you don't read about that in the historical record. But here he clearly admits, uh, as he sees it, major failure. There's a lot of things, of course, that happened in his life that aren't recorded but in the historical record. Um, in verse 61, according to some translations, the, the bands of robbers robbed me, but I will not forget your law. Now, is that some unrecorded robbery while he was in the wilderness from uh, brigands, from, uh, from robbers uh, on the road? Probably it was. Now, again, verse 62, at midnight I will rise and thank you because of your righteous judgments. And I understand that to mean that he woke up in the middle of the night uh, feeling great thanks to God that God had acted historically in justice for his people in the past. Now, that's quite a thing to wake up thinking, well, God, you saved Israel at the Red Sea. So many of these Psalms of David are talking about the history of Israel. And why does he do that? He's not just reeling it off to just show off that he knows the history. The point is, I don't feel God acting like that in my life right now, but I do see that you did that to others, and I rejoice because of that. 63, I'm a friend of all those who fear you, of those who observe your precepts. You get that quite often in the psalm. In the psalm uh, 74, for example, those who fear you will see me and be glad. Uh, 79, let those who fear you turn to me. Um, he has this very strong sense of fellowship with other sincere believers, and particularly that 79, let those who fear you turn to me. Uh, it's written that all sorts of people turned unto David while he was in the wilderness, those also persecuted by Saul, those who were in debt, etc. And there were a group then of like-minded believers, and it was difficult for David, I guess, who was used to the tabernacle system and Samuel going round, as he did in David's youth, uh, holding, uh, if you like, uh, Bible instruction sessions regularly at different towns throughout Israel. Um, suddenly he was outside the, the visible ecclesia. He was outside the apparent teaching network, and yet he still finds fellowship with uh, God and with others who believed uh, as he did. And so if, for whatever reason, because of, I don't know, maybe a, a work transfer, it could be because of illness, it be, could be because of your own dysfunction or dysfunctions in the ecclesia, that you find yourself outside the visible structure, this does not mean that you are therefore unable to have a relationship with, with God. And insofar as you look for them, those who are of the right mind will turn to you. Now, 65, <clears throat> do good, you do good to your servant. You have dealt well with your servant according to your word. 
Uh, but I, I know in some Bibles it says, do good to your servant. In other words, he's asking for good to be done. In others, it implies it has already been done. And if that is right, the, the translation like in the AV, that you have dealt well with your servant. I mean, there was David in the wilderness, <coughs> chronically lacking in justice, suffering totally unfairly, just as we do today. It could be at the hands of an unreasonable partner, employer, even children, parents, society, ecclesia, all sorts of things. We suffer unfairly, and yet he still feels that God has dealt well with him. Time and again, he asks God to teach him more of his word. 66, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. <clears throat> There's one thing, it's one thing to believe in God's commandments, to know God's word. It's another thing to be taught by God personally so there he was probably he was illiterate you know at this time and these psalms were composed in his head um, he was illiterate and yet he w was away I guess from the formal teaching of Samuel of, of God's word and the priests who were supposed to teach the knowledge of God you know Malachi the, the priest's lips should teach knowledge um, but here he, he says that uh, well God is doing that directly so it is not that a man faces off against God over a table upon which is an open Bible, and God says, well, it's up to you. You want to read this and obey it and believe it, that's up to you. If not, well, that's your choice. God is going beyond that, and throughout the Psalm, Psalm 119, you see that, that he keeps talking about God opening his heart, putting his word in his heart, God doing something with his word over and above uh, what David himself can do and if I'm right in saying David was illiterate and he probably was I mean literacy levels were extremely low at that time they were low enough in the first century just uh, a couple of percent in uh, first century Palestine um, I'm sure David would have been illiterate suddenly in his youth <clears throat> so then through all this persecution and this exclusion from the the cult if you like of Israel of Israel's religion he was driven to love God's word there in the wilderness verse 71 it is good for me that I've been afflicted so that I may learn your statutes and the whole of Psalm 119 is really <clears throat> his celebration of that fact that through all that I'm going through I was driven to God uh, and to his word uh, and really for us who have Bibles so easily accessible, for us who are literate and have the Bible in any form you really like, as MP3s or paper form or whatever size you want, or whatever version you want, really, this is what our own suffering in life should lead us to. I do particularly like 73. Your hands have made me, informed me, so give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. The fact that God has created us means that we want to know him more and more and to have a relationship with him it's rather like those stories you read about um, people desperately in search for their biological father um, I, I remember reading this uh, thing about the, the lost generation the, the uh, uh, aboriginals who the British government many years ago took away from their natural parents in Australia uh, and raise them uh, sort of artificially 
and did these terrible experiments on them, uh, and how those people spent the rest of their lives after they sort of got out from the education system they were forced into, uh, they spent the rest of their lives trying to find their fathers and their mothers, uh, trying to find their fathers. And there's one thing about this guy who <coughs> found that his father had actually written books. His father was now dead, and he eagerly read every every book that his father had written because he felt something intuitive there that this is my father uh, and somehow this is specially speaking to me now that is more so the case with us we were created by God and there's this connection between the fact we are created by him and our desire for his word our desire to know him because it is a case of finding the father that is what we are like that we have been made by him and we are his. He knows every molecule within the human body. And this designer and creator, our father, has revealed himself in his word. This is the medium through which he has chosen uh, to reveal himself. If he had chosen, let's say, the sun or the moon, we'd spend all our time trying to find out more about the sun or the moon. But he's given us his word, the Bible, as we now have it in our generation, and there is therefore should be an intuitive desire to to search this script that these scriptures knowing that of course it's difficult to to find it all in black and white about this wonderful god of ours but knowing that this is our father and we're seeking for him